good evening, everyone, and welcome to our evening meeting. How many of you want to go to heaven? I expect to see every hand on that one. It's good to be here on Thursday evening at ASI. Now, Karen, how long has it been that we've been coming to ASI conventions now? This has actually been our 30th year, and we haven't missed one convention in 30 years. Is there anybody else out here who has been here for 30 years in a row? I see one down here. There's a few. It keeps getting better and better and better. But we're going to sing, because you said you wanted to go to heaven, we're going to sing When We All Get to Heaven.
night and we did something. Debbie, what did we do last night? We uh, recommended and voted the president for the next term, Frank Fournier. Frank Fournier. Tonight we are back to uh, give the complete report of the nominating committee for the officer group of ASI. So Debbie, you're the secretary. Please give us the report. Mr. Chair, the following recommendations come from the nominating committee. For General Vice President Andy Hunsaker, Vice President for Evangelism, Norman Wrights. Vice President for Recruitment and Membership, Steve Dickman. Vice President for Finance, Stan Smith. Vice President for Communication, Wayne Atwood. Vice President for Logistics, Denzel McNeilis. And two members at large, Dan Houghton and Rusty McKee. And I move it. Okay, the report is moved. Is there a second? I have a second. I even got it moved again. All in favor. Now, if you have a, a, a delegate card with you or a voting card with you tonight, I'm going to ask you to take it out. And uh, if you don't, I'm going to ask you to take your hand out and be ready. Uh, all of those in favor of accepting this report, please lift your delegate card or your voting card or your right hand, please. Okay, and any who would be opposed to the report by the same sign. All right, I'm, Debbie, I'm seeing kind of a unanimous vote here of the people who voted. I agree. So, we're going to invite uh, Frank Fournier to bring out his team and introduce them to you at the present time. And I think we, it would be appropriate to give them Praise God and a clap, a hand.
Thank you, Pastor Dan Jackson, North American Division President, and Debbie Young from the Lake Union. She's the president also. My privilege to introduce to you these fine folks. We're going to start with the General Vice President. This is Andy Hunsicker. And standing next to her is Norman Wrights. He's going to be Vice President of Evangelism. Next to him is Steve Dickman, Vice President of uh, membership and recruitment, and there we have Wayne Atwood, Vice President for Communications. Behind him, well behind as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> is Stan Smith, and he's Vice President for Finances. Next to him is Denzel McNeilis, Vice President for Logistics. And standing at the end of the line is Harold Lance, and Harold Lance is the President of Mission Zinc, and he's a member of our ASI Executive Committee. This is our team for this year, and I think it's a fantastic team. We're going to sing the song, Holy Thine, as we conclude our worship in uh, singing. And I want to invite you all to stand. It's like an opening song. Aren't you used to standing when you want to sing? Let's stand up and we're going to sing Holy Thine.
Let us bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your love and your infinite mercy towards us. We thank you for everyone that's gathered here, how you've brought us all safely here, some from very far away. We thank you for the day we've had today um, to be inspired um, by all the meetings and everything we've heard and the people we've met. And as we um, prepare now to enter into the service, we just ask, Lord, that you slow us down, that you clear our thoughts and our minds and help us to focus on you. We just ask that you remove all distraction from us. And we thank you, Lord, that you um, are the kind of God that you are, that you love us so much that you would use sinful, flawed beings like us to do your work, that you would, um, you would use us here in these end times. And as we listen to members in action, Lord, I pray that you speak through the members, um, that you, um, will, we will feel your presence here, and that you will be glorified by everything that is said tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good evening, ASI. Why are you here? Look at that person next to you. Ask them the question, why are you here? Why are you here? This is the Adventist church, isn't it? And are we really supposed to be here? Isn't it about time? Isn't it about time? So why are we here? Why are you here? Why is the Adventist church here? Why hasn't Jesus come? That's going to be the subject of a panel discussion on Sabbath afternoon. And we have some special guests, but we need your help. Did you notice how startled the person looked next to you when you asked, why are you here? And you wondered why I was asking you, why are you here? Is that a fair question? For a church that's saying they are the Seventh-day Adventist church and proclaims in countless meetings that Jesus is coming again? For over a hundred years, we've been saying Jesus is coming. Why isn't he here? Would you like to ask that question of Elder Wilson, of Elder Finley, of Elder C.D. Brooks, of Ed Reed, of Lewis Walton? I want to give you an email address where you can ask that question, and we're going to be I don't mean putting them on the spot, but we're going to be asking them why Jesus hasn't returned. How many think that's an important discussion? How many of you want to ask a question of that panel? Here's an email for you. End.times.question at gmail.com. I notice some of you are not taking your pens out. A pen looks like only a little smaller. Take it out and write down that email, and I want to get a bunch of emails, and I'm going to pick those questions, 
And we're going to have a wonderful time on Sabbath afternoon asking those questions. Also, I think we also have Andy Hunsaker on our panel as well. And uh, I received two questions for her already. And uh, so she's on the panel as well. End.times.question at gmail.com. So I want to get those email questions, and then there's going to be a wonderful panel discussion. We're going to break it up into three segments, and uh, we're going to be able to ask those questions on Sabbath afternoon. The other day, I was visiting with a person who had never heard the message of Jesus Christ. Said that he was an atheist, was not interested in religious things, but after he went through the treatment of the depression recovery program, after we had been singing hymns, and usually when it's people that say they don't believe in Jesus, I sing Christmas carols. And after I saw him singing Silent Night, I knew it was time to give him the assignment. And the assignment was, he came to me, he says, you look, I want to know maybe more. What would you say about Jesus? I said, doesn't matter what I say. Take out a pen, pad of paper, and read the Gospel of Mark and ask two questions. What did Jesus say about himself, and what did he do? He went back to his room. He wrote out what Jesus said about himself and what he had done. And he came back and he talked to me and he said, we really need someone like this in the world today. How can I get in touch with Jesus? When is he coming back? That's what we're going to be discussing. Was that a good question that he asked? End.times.question at gmail.com. I'm going to be looking for your questions. We're going to have a wonderful time of discussion on Sabbath afternoon with our esteemed panel. God bless you. Peace. 
Well, Bill, it's always nice to see your shining face here at ASI's. But, you know, I'm sure you're a busy guy. You've got a lot of these kind of conventions that you'd like to go to. But why do you make ASI such a priority? It's easy. I want to be around people who have mission and focus. And each year, as the Adventist Review prepares for this event, our, our pulse beats a little quicker because we get the chance to talk with people who really are active in the mission of the church. When I came to my first ASI convention more than 13 years ago, I went home and wrote an editorial, the title of which was addressed to me, Your Church is Too Small. I learned that at ASI. I had thought of the church as what the institutional church did and prepared. I hadn't known what God was doing, and I made a commitment there, and I make it again every year to come back and cover all that God is doing in the Adventist Review. So tell me, Bill, being the executive publisher of a magazine like the Adventist Review, I'm sure you have the inside scoop on the amazing things that our church is doing. So come on, give us, give us a little bit of juice right now. What are some exciting things that the Adventist Church is doing right now? Well, if you turn to page six, now you'll see there that I talk a little bit about what's new in the church. I get that question a lot, and Scotty is playing off that. In fact, what's new in the church and that it's exciting to me isn't the latest news about a committee decision or a, a direction that an initiative is taking. What's new in the church is that people are praying more. They're following the Holy Spirit more. They're getting involved in service more. One of the privileges of working at the Adventist Review is that I get to see the church on a very broad scale. And I can tell you, there is a wind moving in the top of the mulberry trees, folks. The Spirit has begun working in this church in so many places, in prayer, in service, in obedience. It's a happy, glad day to be an Adventist and to be working at a magazine that gets to report that. Amen. When I walked in here today, there was actually a whole group that was praying in the back over yes. there. And I just walked by and I said, praise God yeah. to see our Amen. church members Amen. just praying over this room. It's beautiful. Amen. So tell me, I'm really excited about this next phase that the Adventist Review is moving into. Tell me, what, what is this digital footprint that you guys are getting involved in? Many people aren't aware that our digital audience on the Adventist Review website, adventistreview.org, is already four times the size of the print subscription list. More than 100,000 unique visitors a month come to the adventistreview.org site, not only to get the content of the magazine, but all kinds of other exclusives and specials, breaking news of the church. That audience is growing. We're redesigning that site to keep up with what our audience is asking for. They want inspirational content, the best news in Adventism. They want hope. And we, we intend to deliver that to them. And in fact, this week, every year, for one week at ASI, we unlock the entire AdventistReview.org website. You can go there, see anything, pay nothing, tell your friends about it. Nothing. Wait a minute, there's, there's rarely anything for free in this world. Nothing? Nothing. This week alone, during our year, for ASI, we open the website up to everyone. Invite your friends to go and navigate and see what's there. But no pulling your phones out when the speaker's up here tonight and checking that out. Wait till he's done. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, you know, ASI and the Adventist Review always get this opportunity to work together. Tell me about this partnership and, and, and what is it doing for you guys? Almost 10 years ago, I began a conversation with ASI leadership and I said, 
we're, we're talking about the same things. We're dedicated to the same principles. Yes, we share the same biblical beliefs, but we approach mission in many of the same ways. We ought to be able to find a way to work together to share services. We like what we call non-cash deals, meaning that we trade services with each other to create awareness and exposure of mission, activity, of truth, of inspiration. We found this relationship to be one of our most secure partnerships, and we're delighted to continue partner partnering with ASI, not only this year, but well into the future. Beautiful. So tell me a little bit about the philosophy that Adventist Review is getting into. It's pretty simple. We're preparing a people for the kingdom. We're preparing people to meet their Lord in peace. If this magazine does what it's been doing for 164 years now, it's preparing this generation to meet Jesus soon. There's a line from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress that I have always loved. He puts it in the mouth of a character he calls Evangelist. And he says this, let the kingdom be always before you and firmly believe in things thought impossible. That's a personal motto. Let the kingdom be always before you. That's what we're doing at the Adventist Review, keeping the kingdom in focus for this generation of Adventists and their friends. We want to be ready to meet the Lord soon. Bill, praise God for your ministry. Thank you so much for this opportunity to work together. And let's all get everyone ready to meet our Lord and Savior. Amen. Have you been blessed already? I have enjoyed so much this first day of ASI, and tomorrow we have another wonderful day. I'm, I'm here this evening to introduce to you the speakers for tomorrow's seminars. And whether you're a, a layman coming here to learn more about personal evangelism, whether you're a pastor coming for professional development, whether you're a professional, a health professional, there are seminars for you. And so we're going to start off right here with Lewis Walton and uh, tell us about your seminar and why people should come and, and listen and learn. Okay, I'm Lou Walton. Tomorrow morning, 1045 and F2, we'll be talking about three major current world events and comparing those with end-time prophecy. But we're not going to stop there because the clearest indications of Christ's soon return are not what happened out there in the world or what happened inside God's church. We'll discover that when you talk about current events and prophecy, you have to talk about what's happening in God's church. I'll give you one quick example. Ellen White predicted a development in the church, and she said when that happens, the close of probation is not far behind. We'll talk about it tomorrow. We'll have an exciting 75 minutes. I'm Zeno Charles Marcel from Wildwood. Tomorrow at uh, 10.45, we'll be having a discussion about obesity, but not in the same way that uh, most people would imagine. What we'll be doing is using the obesity uh, crisis, the obesity epidemic, to talk about what the voices out in the world are saying about health. It'll be surprising for, for many of you to realize that we have all kinds of uh, different theories about obesity and all kinds of different ways to treat in such uh, a manner that Seventh-day Adventists sometimes get confused as to what it is that we really should be doing. If we could be completely healthy and with the technology we could be living forever, what would be the sense or what would be the reason for living healthy anyway? 
We'll be exploring that tomorrow. I'm Jay Sutliff from Flagstaff, Arizona. My seminar falls under the category of health tomorrow afternoon. It's titled, Applying What We Already Know. When I was a college student in Fargo, North Dakota and started attending the Adventist church in the community there, I suddenly realized that the average Adventist church member knew about as much or more than many health professionals. But as I went and got to know the Adventists some more and eventually joined the church, I started realizing there was a disengage between head knowledge and application. So tomorrow, if you come to my seminar, you're not going to necessarily come for knowledge. What we're going to do is talk about how you can apply the knowledge you already have, because I realize that we as Adventists, we also struggle, like so many other people, of making lasting lifestyle changes. So we're going to talk about strategies and how we can apply what we already have in our head. So tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon at 3.30. Good evening. Recently, a young Adventist woman was riding a bus in Arizona when she felt an overwhelming conviction to give a Bible pamphlet to the man who was sitting next to her. She didn't know this guy. She was a little bit afraid. But she eventually mustered up the courage, pulled out a Bible tract, gave it to him, almost expecting the worst. He took the tract, he looked at it, and he said, you know, I was just praying that God would give me a sign if he didn't want me to commit suicide, and I think that this is it. My name is Nelson. I'm from Central California Conference, where we have a program called GLOW. We've printed over 31 million tracks. When you come to our seminar, we're going to talk about stories of Adventists passing out literature all across the globe, and we're going to give you techniques on how to get literature into people's hands in your local community. How many people have heard of New Beginnings? Raise your hand. How many people think New Beginnings is just for training in foreign countries? Raise your hands. Well, you're right. It's also training for here. It works great in the North American division. And we're going to do a seminar. We're going to do the abbreviated version of a seminar on how to do DVD training and the New Beginnings training, because it's not a DVD anymore. You can download it from our website. So come tomorrow, if you got the time, and hear how to do New Beginnings training in your church and how you can have the stories of how the training through these New Beginnings helps your church. Good evening. My name is René Metz, and uh, I would like to invite you to a seminar called Using Your Business Platform for Evangelism. I'm not going to be the presenter, but presenter will be uh, Radim Passer, a businessman from Czech Republic, from Prague, and many, many of you know him, I'm sure. And uh, we would like to invite you to join in the, uh, in the workshop where, you know, when you ask a question, what is good and not good place to plant a church? And maybe Business Park is not the best place that you would pick, but uh, all things are possible in Christ. And uh, we have decided to do so, to plant a church in a business park. So those of you who are interested to listen to the story, how uh, it's possible to build a, a church in the business park and how God has used a businessman by mighty way as a tool to proclaim the gospel, please come to the workshop and we will be happy to share with you our experiences and exciting things that God has done in Czech Republic. Good evening. My name is Wendell Lawrence. I'm a dentist in the Detroit area. And we are excited to be here to share with you 
the powerful things God is doing in the Detroit area, a city that's plagued with bankruptcy, loss of jobs, people don't have any medical or dental insurance, but God is using our dental office in a special way to bring a message of health, healing, and hope. The name of our seminar is The Team Approach to Healthy Healing and Hope. And we will show you practical ways in which you can use your medical training, anybody, physicians, dentists, um, health professionals, just come and we'll show you how God is using us. And he can use you also in your place of business, in your office, in your community to make an impact for his kingdom. Good evening, ASI. I am Pastor Dwayne Turner, a pastor in Northeastern Conference for the last 20 years. My specialty is prophecy. I love to talk about prophecy, and I'm going to specifically be focusing on the takedown of ancient Israel. What happened from just over the crossing of the Red Sea to the time just after Christ went back to his father? Why did Israel lose that special designation? I hope by the grace of God you will come to this seminar because we're going to learn what were the central reasons why Israel is no longer God's chosen people. What parallels, what lessons can we as spiritual or some say modern Israel today, how can we understand ourselves in light of what happened before? I hope by the grace of God you will be there. It is going to be at Pensacola F3 at 3.30 tomorrow afternoon. Hope to see you there. God bless. Good evening, ASI. My name is Pastor Anel Kand. I'm the pastor of the Series Church in Central California Conference. And I'll be doing tomorrow's presentation on Ellen White Outside Adventism. These days, there are many documentaries that have come out from Food, Inc. to Forks Over Knives to Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. And you're going to discover that the root of many of, these, many of these documentaries was actually the writings of Ellen G. White. Come out tomorrow and find out the uh, link, how these things took place, the powerful connections. Also in tomorrow's presentation, you'll learn about actual government experimentation that was done on Seventh-day Adventists whose results have been felt all the way from the jungles of South America to the deserts of Middle East to the farthest reaches of outer space. You don't want to miss that. That's tomorrow pre tomorrow's presentation at 1045 in the Pensacola Auditorium. That's F3, 1045. God bless you. All right, thank you. And isn't this exciting? I know it's going to be hard to make the decisions, but while the uh, presenters are just leaving the platform, I just want to encourage you. You know, there's a lot of good things we can do at ASI. There's a lot of good knowledge that we can gain. But if each of us would make a goal to not just learn something, but to, to find something we're going to go back and put into practice. Don't you think that would be a wonderful thing? If ASI actually changed our lives, changed our ministries, changed our practices, changed our businesses. And so I just want to encourage you to make that one goal, to, uh, uh, that goal of finding one thing that you will do different after ASI. You know, there's, there's just so many things that we are blessed by to be here at ASI. And uh, these seminars are one of the treasures I want to encourage you to avail yourselves of. And if you're watching by our viewing audience today, I just want to encourage you. Maybe you can make plans next year to be a part of the ASI convention in person. 
uh, because these seminars are just power-packed, information-packed blessings that you can, you can take part of if you're here. So thank you. Please enjoy the seminars. These presenters have done a lot of work to put them together and to make a, a, a top-notch uh, material available for you. Thank you. Good evening, ASI. Once again, this is your Offering in Action segment, and I am really happy to bring this segment to you. Some really exciting things are happening, and I think you'll be really blessed this evening. I'd actually like to start by sharing a little bit of an update on one of our projects, the One Day Church Project. And you may remember, if you were here or watching last year, that we highlighted a couple of projects that were happening, the building of one-day schools, we had a classroom model here, as well as one-day clinics with a model hospital room. So I'd actually like to show you just a couple of pictures that give you some indication of the progress that has been made thus far. So this first is one of the schools in Africa. You'll notice it there and in all of the one-day classrooms, art by Nathan Green on the wall, and at the front of the classroom, a banner that says, Jesus loves you. These children need to know that they have a savior that loves them and wants to save them. In the next picture, we get an idea of the response of these children, learning to pray and respond to the teachings that are being given to them of a loving savior. The next picture actually shows some deplorable conditions in a hospital, this particular one in Chad in the Berry Hospital. And we're grateful for the one-day structures that are providing new and improved facilities to be able to care for individuals in the region. So in the next one, we'll see that we have beds and uh, structures that are actually going up to be able to receive individuals who need care. This is actually on the compound of the Berry Hospital in Chad, and I believe that's the next one. You'll see all of the structures that have already been erected. There are many more things that are going to be happening, and we are excited and blessed by God that he has impressed you to be able to support this great project. You know, there's even more that we need to understand about the One Day Project, and I'm actually going to ask my good friend Alan Knowles to come out and join me. Alan Knowles is the department, excuse me, the development director at Riverside Farms in Zambia, Africa, and he has done quite a bit with One Day Churches. Alan, how many churches, One Day Churches, have you supervised uh, going up? Well, I've built or supervised or had my hand in around 500 churches or schools. 500. And that's really just a drop in the bucket of the number of one-day structures that have been built to date. You know, I'm curious, Alan, could you share with me a little bit of what the response might be from individuals who are blessed to have a church home now? Well, you know, I have the opportunity to be right on hand for many of these churches that are, are built, my hands helping build and working with the people. And as they put their hand and their sweat into the building, that's just the first part of their response, the response to help us. But as we drive away, it's the thankfulness in their hearts. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a happy African lady jumping for joy, waving her hands, 
patting her hands together, coming over to you with her arms around you. The response touches your heart. Now you shared with me uh, as an indication of how quickly this happens and how shocking it is for the community around them, a gentleman on his bicycle. Tell me about that story. Well, one morning we had pulled up to a site where we were going to build. There's the old church there next to us, kind of half dilapidated. And uh, a man was driving by with his bicycle. We were near the road. And he shouted greetings to his friends, the uh, church members who were helping us. Good morning, good morning, as he drove on his way to the market or wherever he was going. Well, we spent our time building the church and had our lunch, and we were having our little dedicatory prayer after, and we heard someone coming down the road. And we looked, here's a man coming back from the market. And as he's driving his bicycle, he's going to greet his friends again. And he's looking, and he sees a whole building up. And he went right off the road and fell over on his bicycle. <laughs> a surprise. A miracle happened that day. A miracle is true. And we just want to pull up for our last picture this congregation of a one-day church. And Alan, I want you to share with me uh, the response and how glad they were for this particular miracle in their lives. This church was in Western Province in the real rural area. And they had built their walls up and had a thatched roof on their original church. Had been asking us to come and help them with a roof for several years before we were able to get a chance to, to book them. Well, in the meantime, the one-day church program came and, and they didn't really qualify for that. Well, they went to camp meeting one uh, during the summer and during their time at camp meeting, someone came and lit their grass roof on fire and burnt their church down and most of the walls fell down as the timbers collapsed and so forth. And they came back from camp meeting, supposedly with joy in their hearts, but to find their church burnt down. Fortunately, our booking was to come and visit them within the next couple of months. And we came there and were able to build them next to the burnt down charred church, a new structure for them to be worshiping under. And I can only tell you a little bit of the joy that those people, you can see, saw the, the waving of their hands. They were saying, thank you, ASI, for the help that you gave us today and the miracle that you made happen. Alan, we want to thank you for your sweat equity that you're putting in to supervise all of these churches going up for people who really need a home so that they can worship in. Thank you very much, Alan. Coming to the podium with me now is someone, uh, as we interrupt our offering in action for a special report, uh, Elder Ted Wilson, thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's, we're uh, delighted to have you here. Thank you, Debbie. It's great to be here with you. <laughs> well, um, I, we understand that some really exciting things have happened. That's kind of my coin word, exciting. And um, we'd like you to be able to share a little bit with us uh, about what has happened in New York recently. If you could give us some context, tell us when it occurred, um, how it happened, and what your role was in the New York 13 series. Well, this is one of my favorite topics, so we'll try to make it brief. Uh, somewhat, well, some time ago, let's say a number of uh, uh, years ago, actually, we had a great vision to try to see how God's power can truly be seen in reaching the people of the cities. And so as we began to talk and to uh, plan for the future, we felt that New York City 
because Ellen White has indicated in the book Evangelism that New York is to be a symbol as to how God wants to work the rest of the world, that that ought to be fulfilled in some special way. So as we were working together with our colleagues and uh, with my good friend Mark Finley, who is uh, such a tremendous help to the church as an assistant uh, to me and to the church in evangelism and many other ways, we began to formulate a plan that perhaps we could do something in New York that would set the pace for the entire world for our emphasis on mission to the cities. Uh, you know that in the book Medical Ministry, page 304, it says that when the cities are worked as God would have them, the result will be the setting in operation of a mighty movement such as we have not yet witnessed. So we want to work the cities as God would have us do that. And as we worked with the North American Division, and we had strong support from Elder Dan Jackson, from uh, the Atlantic Union, the Columbia Union. There are five conferences involved in the New York City area. Uh, Allegheny East, New Jersey, Greater New York, Northeastern, and Southern New England Conference. As we began to formulate plans, and as uh, Pastor Don King took uh, leadership in the NY13 Coordinating Committee, things began to come together. I, I can go on for, for hours talking to you, but I'll make it very brief. This year, NY13, emphasizing New York, there are going to be over 400 public evangelistic meetings in the metro New York area. During the month of June, there were about 100 across the metro area, and I had the great privilege of preaching in one of those. You see, we, you can't reach New York or any large city with one particular venue. You've got to reach all the different sections of the city. And so it was a great privilege to be in Lower Manhattan, in Greenwich Village, one of the most sophisticated, uh, secular, moneyed places in this country, in the historic Manhattan Church, Seventh-day Adventist Church on West 11th Street. It was such an exciting event. Now, I understand, uh, even as a seasoned preacher, that you used um, a familiar tool to us to uh, impart those messages. I did, and it's available to all of you. And in fact, uh, New Beginnings is one of the byproducts of that. Revelation of Hope, which is an incredible series of about 28 subjects, and uh, written and produced by our wonderful colleague, Mark Finley. And it has uh, the sermons that are right on the computer, if you want to use them, uh, beautiful graphics. You can read the script. You can adapt it according to your own need. And it is such a powerful series. Every time I preach these precious messages, I become so reinvigorated with the precious Advent message that we have. And it was just a thrill to preach five nights a week for three weeks in New York City. Uh, I was there for three and a half weeks, never left uh, the borders of New York City until the very last Sabbath when we had a tremendous combined camp meeting, Northeastern Conference and Greater New York Conference, first time that it has ever happened. We had over 12,000 brothers and sisters and many visitors there. We had baptisms taking place. It was like Pentecost. It was an exciting time. This sounds like it was quite uh, an undertaking. Um, what kind of partners were uh, worked with you in this effort? 
Well, obviously, as I mentioned, the, uh, the conferences worked heavily. We had very strong emphasis in the area of comprehensive health ministry. You're going to be hearing much more about that from the General Conference and North American Division and the entire world field because we're told that the last work that we will be able to do will be medical missionary work and that it is the right arm to the gospel. It's not the gospel, but it is the right arm. And Ellen White said it is the best thing you can do in New York. So we had tremendous help from health ministries. From North America, Katia Reinert helped us tremendously. Uh, there in uh, New York itself, they have a tremendous health outreach. They trained many people. We had ASI participation. Uh, Denzel McNeilis was there helping to train people and knowing how to give Bible studies. It was a tremendous collaborative venture. It was not just professionals doing it in terms of the pastoral staff, everybody. And lay people were just vitally involved. And what was so exciting was to see the enthusiasm of the local church there on West 11th Street and how the church members just came alive. It was a thrilling experience. And God bless with miraculous, uh, with baptisms and lots of things that happened thereafter. We, just to name a few, uh, we had a Chinese uh, architect and his wife who joined the church. They were so impressed. We had uh, a, a wonderful gentleman who will be baptized very shortly uh, and who's, who actually is going to become a pastor. He is a very high-ranking sales representative for a very strong hotel chain and was just attracted to the message. Uh, there was a Ukrainian lady there who didn't speak any English, but a faithful person sat next to her and just translated the sermons, and she just, she was going to be baptized a little later, and she told her pastor, Pastor, can I just be baptized now? I want to be baptized now. And uh, another wonderful gentleman who grew up in Greenwich Village, lives on the east side, he and his brother came just about every night. It was thrilling to see uh, these things happen and for me to be able to baptize that particular gentleman uh, John is his name and I know that he's going to be a great a great blessing uh, it's just precious to see souls who are attracted to this Advent message and the Lord is going to reward us as we work in the cities according to his method you know, Elder Wilson, we just have a little bit of time left, and I'm, I'm struck with your report as I think about this as a segment of offering in action, that there's so much that we can do with our hands and with our resources. Can, can you share with us what we really should be about as we look to the future, um, a series that are going to happen in subsequent cities? Uh, in fact, everyone will get an opportunity. Everyone can have a chance to participate in Mission to the Cities. Uh, divisions all across this world, all 13 of them, are now planning for specific endeavors in their own large cities. Uh, we're talking about over 600 within the next two years or so. Everyone can, can get involved, praying for these initiatives, giving their funds to assist in mission to the cities in their local areas, uh, and participating, becoming involved in every aspect, small groups, Bible studies, uh, medical missionary work, every kind of aspect. Uh, it's it's going to be an exciting thing because it is a collaborative thing. It's not just the official organized church doing this. This is every member involved in the last final proclamation of the three angels' messages and the fourth angel of Revelation 18. 
Uh, I'm appealing to our church administrators also to take time for evangelism. I carved out time. I'm planning next year to have uh, two reaping meetings, one in Vietnam and one in Papua New Guinea, another major meeting in uh, Manila. The following year, uh, a major meeting in Harare, Zimbabwe, and uh, perhaps in another location as well. That's still under discussion. We need to lead by example, by humble example. And I just want to urge every single one of you and those who are listening on the air to become involved in God's last great proclamation to this world. Seventh-day Adventists have been called for this time. Jesus is coming soon. Elder Wilson, thank you so much for that special report and for challenging us to be partnerships in ministry. Thank you. And let me just thank ASI for their vital participation. Thanks thank you so much, much, Debbie. Good evening, ASI. Have you been blessed? Well, I have with me two very special people, and you've been hearing all evening from uh, professionals, sort of. And now we get to hear from some lay people, but they're professional too. What are your names? I'm I, Brian. And I'm Lindy Schwartz. Schwartz. And where are you from? Ohio. Ohio. And what do you do there? We are both physicians. Both of you are physicians. Yes. Now, I know some doctors, and they have very little free time. They're super busy all the time, and I would imagine you would have no time to do any kind of ministry. Well, my model used to be that I work hard and then I play hard. But over the last few years, we have tried to use much of our time for ministry opportunities that we have off. Okay. Yeah. What kind of ministries? So we've been involved with some various mission trips, um, been to Russia and Africa several times. I've tried to develop a ministry just even within my practice. Okay. You know, going to overseas, it's wonderful, but not everybody can get that opportunity. Is there something that other professionals can bring ministry into their practice at home? So we've been um, involved in trying to turn my medical practice into a ministry. And every day I, I pray with patients, I uh, have discussions with them, but um, also we're involved with a ministry called Amen and several physician and dental families involved with that who like to do different activities started thinking about, hmm, what should we do with our other time, our vacation time, and that kind of got us going along this way. So you're tithing your vacation time now. <laughs> We wondered as we're getting closer to the end of time, should we even be taking vacation? And we decided, well, we should think about that. But what if we turned our vacations into a ministry? Now that sounds exciting. <laughs> I hate just taking vacations. You just sit there. But, but you know, doing a, doing a mission trip on a vacation, that sounds like a really interesting idea. So tell me how that works. Well, my wife was very skeptical at first. But several families, the Guthrie family, a Nedley family, Chung family, several of us and others had got together and were brainstorming. There's something that we all like to do in common, which is to go skiing in the wintertime. And we thought... And where know, do you go ski? Well, we've been in various places, but the last couple of years it's been in Colorado. Okay, Colorado and, is a very nice state. Very <laughs> nice place. And we decided, let's do something for the ski community. Let's 
do an evangelistic series at the end of the day after skiing and invite people from the ski lifts, from the community, people that have flown in to come to an evangelistic series of sorts. And it was on health, but we decided okay, to give so that a try. Okay, so this is the high season of ski season. Yes. And there's people all over the world flying into Vail at Christmas time. Vail and Beaver Creek are the two places that we've tried this over the Christmas holidays. The airport has business jets and personal jets lined up from one end to the other with very influential okay, people now, and their families there. Yeah, these are high-powered people. Yes. And I would imagine they've never gone to a Seventh-day Adventist evangelistic meeting. So this was, uh, we advertised Dr. Nedley's Optimizing Your Brain seminar. Okay. So it's a little bit cloaked in a way that they'd be interested in it. One mother brought her, one mother who flew in on a jet, her husband's the CEO from New York, had two sons trying to get them into Harvard. They just took their SATs. She came and brought her sons because she wanted to know how to optimize their brain. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so now you're, you're reaching a, a segment of the population that is very difficult to reach. And you didn't know if it would work. Yes, I, I thought that we were going on vacation. And I thought to myself, to, to build this as a mission trip was reaching, and it was an attempt to sanctify our skiing vacation. And so I was really, I was skeptical for the many weeks that we were planning it. When we arrived, I was skeptical. When we went shopping for the groceries, I was skeptical. I was a quite negative person. So what changed your mind? Well, I just want to read a quotes that Ellen White wrote. She's written them in several places, but um, just a couple uh, lines. This is from uh, an, kind of an obscure publication, uh, Councils for the Church. We talk and write much of the neglected poor. Should not some attention be given also to the neglected rich? And then she says, the majesty of heaven came to our world to save lost fallen humanity. His efforts included not merely the outcasts, but those in places of high honor. Ingeniously, she says, he worked to obtain access to souls in the higher classes who knew not God and did not keep his commandments. So I thought perhaps we were, it was a legitimate use of vacation time. Okay, and so when you... Tell, tell us what the program actually was. Yeah, so we were, we were very specific about this. If we were going to do it, we wanted to do it well. So we rented a hall. We advertised it. Dr. Nedley had several Bible workers from Weimar come in a couple weeks early. Um, Barbara Taylor, who's a member of ASI, is in that community, and she helped coordinate it. Um, the actual program uh, Dr. Nedley did here last year, but um, it emphasizes our Adventist health message. We talked about Sabbath rest. We talked about abstaining from alcohol. We talked about faith in God. And he used many biblical examples through that. And as a result, we, we, we had over 60 to 80 people attending. It was one of the most successful evangelistic series. We've done this a couple years in a row, and we plan to do it again. But Amen. one of the most successful evangelistic series I've been involved with, with people from around the world who flew in from Russia, Russia yes, Brazil, Russia. Um, Mexico. Europe, Mexico, mm -hmm. and from New York, Wall Street, and that, and that type. And what was the outcome? Like, have you heard any results? Um, we, gave, uh, we actually made available the copies of the Great Controversy at the end of the program, mm -hmm. and uh, 27 of them took a copy of the Great Controversy. Yeah. There Amen. Were, there were some locals that also attended that heard it advertised, and some of them are, are now in studies or have been studying with um, Barbara Taylor still there 
in the uh, Copper, Colorado church. So ASI family, even your vacations can be ASI evangelistic efforts. Amen? Thank you so much. Thank you. Next we have, next we have another professional coming. His name is Dr. Matthew Hayden. And Dr. Hayden, you and Randy Meyer are here because you have a special project. And tell us what that, the name of the project. The name of our project is International Caring Hands. Okay, and there's two ministries? My brother also has started a ministry called Caring Hands to Mouth. Okay, and so Randy, you are the office manager for these ministries. Tell us a little bit about them. I think you have some pictures. Yes, we have several pictures that go along with this. Um, the first picture that we'll be showing is of a one-day church that we built in Livingston on Christmas Day this last year. And we've built several uh, one-day churches in Malawi uh, in coordination with uh, Maranatha. And we also built some one, uh, evangelistic centers with Riverside Farm Institute. And we're very excited about the possibilities of combining that with medical evangelism in the future. Our next picture that's coming up is of one of our mobile dental clinics. This particular one, we're working in coordination with ADRA to send to Madagascar. Um, and it's fully equipped. Um, any dentist can drive it. It's an automatic. And so we believe that even a dentist can safely pilot this to the locations where we would be providing dental work. Okay, yes. Uh, let's tell them, this is a mobile dental clinic. Yes. Fully, you're, you're able to do everything that a dentist's office can do. Exactly. We have all of the equipment, the dry vac, the compressor system, a 20K generator that operates the unit. It does not require any power, so it can go anywhere and provide services. We've been providing services in southern Zambia uh, quite effectively through this uh, mobile dental clinic program. And we, we want to see dentists come and join us and uh, find out what it's like to have a wonderful experience. And then this next slide is uh, one of my favorite slides of Dr. Matt Hayden and one of his patients. And, you know, there's just something about doing mission work. That smile on Dr. Hayden's face there, I think, says it all. Uh, a dentist who can go and work hard in 100-degree weather and, and uh, smile at the end, definitely you know that the Holy Spirit is working in relation to the process. The next picture? Our next picture is actually a picture of a dental clinic in Tacoma, Washington. We worked in coordination with ADRA, and this dentist, Dr. Gladys Randolph, contacted us, and she is from, originally from Africa, and her goal was to see her dental clinic when she retired go to Africa and provide mission work. So we coordinated with the ADRA staff, and ADRA shipped this clinic to uh, Mozambique, and it will be providing dental services in a dental clinic uh, in one of the one-day structures that you saw earlier. In the last picture. This last picture is a picture of one of our uh, dental clinics in Micronesia in the state of Chuk. And it has hydraulic systems on the outside that allow it to be loaded and unloaded without having a crane. All we have to do is have the semi-truck to be able to deliver this fully self-contained dental clinic. And we've built dental housing on the back. It's, it's uh, fully self-contained, and anyone can come and stay there and provide the dental work. Um, and we look forward to dentists visiting us uh, in our booth to see uh, and learn more information about our clinics.
Thank you. Dr. Hayden, now you're a dentist with a full-time practice. How do you find time to do all this, and how did you start doing this ministry? Well, I've been in practice for about 19 years, and in 2008, I'd grown up in an Adventist home, a mission home. My dad was a missionary when I was a small child, and it came to me that I was just going through the motions of being a Christian. So I rededicated my life to Christ in 2008, and I just started asking the question, what does Christ want me to do? And I started trying to find a purpose for my life, and I took a trip to Africa, and I saw the extreme lack of of dental care available. And I thought, what, what a better way to, to spend my free time and my extra income than to provide dental care to Africa. And that's how this came about. Now, we talked to Dr. Schwartz, and now we're talking to a dentist. You guys have a lot of free time, it seems like. Well, you know, my wife probably wouldn't agree with that. We spent a lot of our holidays that we used to spend in other activities developing the program and going overseas. We've been to Africa about five times now. We go a couple times a year. And we've been spending just our, our free time in this endeavor. Okay, so now when you say that you were just living a regular average American life, what does that mean? Well, I was very, very busy in, in, in business. It wasn't just a normal practice that I had. My brothers and I developed a very large business uh, structure in Oregon. We were we had uh, more than 20 offices in the state. And in 2009, I wanted to change my life, and we sold most of it. And we used the proceeds for, from a lot of that to uh, start these charities. Okay, so now you have your own practice. It's scaled down. Now, the world would look at that as sacrificing. But how would you describe it? You know, it's been a great experience. Like Randy was talking about, you go over and you meet these people, and they're just so appreciative. Some of the times when we've treated people and they, they can speak English, they said, you know, it's just so wonderful that someone from the States would take their time to come over here and think enough of us to come and help us in our need. Okay, now I know we have some dentists and other professionals here in our audience. What would you say to them if they're thinking about maybe my life should change, maybe my time should, how I spend my time should change, what would you say? Well, you know, we, when we set up this charity, one of the goals was to involve other people in mission work, regardless of what it is. And I would say to everybody here um, that you can, you can do something to change uh, the lives of people in Africa, because everyone here knows a dentist. You all in, are in the same position. Each one of you could come by our booth and pick up a card and go talk to the dentist or the hygienist that treats you and say, here's a great opportunity. If you want to go to Africa and change even one person's life, you can do that. And what booth is that? We're in 232, and we'll be there tomorrow. Come by and say hello. Okay, so if you want a mission opportunity, go to his booth, and they'll set you up. Thank you so much, Dr. Hayden. Okay, next, we have somebody very special. And he comes all the way from India. His first name is Ravi, and I can't say his last name. What's your last name? Tumulapalli. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Okay, so we will just say Ravi T. Okay, Ravi, um, I've, I've heard about your life story, and it's very touching, and it, it's, uh, it, it's something that I can relate to. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your early life. Well, my mother died when I was one year old, and my, gran my grandmother raised me up for four years, and I've 
after she raised me for four years and she died when I was five years old. Mm. And then I have no hope. Then my uncle, he took me to his house. Then I thought I'm going to be one of the family members, okay. but they he treated me as a slave. Oh. And I understand that he took me to his house to sell me. And he sold me to one of the rich men to clean the cow sheds. And you were four years old? I was five years you old. You were five years old? Yes. Okay. And it, and he sold me to one of the rich men in the village and to clean his cow shed and care for his cows. Okay, so you were a slave at five years of age. Yes, I was bound to be a slave to clean the cow shed for the rich man. Okay, and how long were you in that situation? I was about one year there and I was, I was still there as a slave working for the rich man. My day began in the cow shed and my day ended up in the cow shed. Mm -hmm. And while I was going to the cow shed early, the morning, I, I met one Adventist pastor, and he asked me like if I would like to go to school like other children in the village. Okay, so you were, how did you meet him? You just met him in the street? No, like one, one fine evening when I was bringing the cows back to the shed from the okay. farm, then I met this gentleman. I didn't know he was an Adventist pastor because I was small, and I only knew he was a fine, well-dressed man. And he, he asked me like if I would like to go to school and have three meals, a day and a bed mm. to sleep. Then that gave me a hope and I thought this will be better than being in a cow shed. Okay. And so this man secured your release and where did he take you? Yes. And he promised me that he would come back in two or three days and take me to a place where I can have three meals, a bed to sleep and I can go to school. Okay. Then as he said, he came back and he took me out of the cow shed. I do not know what deal he had with the, a mm -hmm. rich man. He brought me out of the cow shed. Then he brought me to one school where supported by the Asian aid. <laughs> and I was thrilled that I'm into the school where I can have three meals and uh, can go to school and have okay. a very nice bed to sleep. Okay. That's, that's wonderful. Um, one person can make such a difference in another person's life. And so how long were you at this AIDS, um, Asian Aid Orphanage? I was there from age five, from nursery, till my graduation, that is still university. Okay, now I know Asian Aid works on a sponsorship program. How many sponsors did you have? I, my sponsor was only one sponsor from nursery till my graduation. So you had one sponsor that sponsored you from nursery all the way through university. university. Okay, and what university was that? Spicer Memorial College in India. Okay, so one sponsor sponsored you all the way through. Now, what subject did you take at Spicer? I did computer science major and theology major also, both majors. Okay, wonderful. And so, now your life was saved, you were rescued. And how, um, what do you do now? Well, Asian Aid gave me a positive, permanent change in my life. The same way I was able to rescue uh, four students, two were girls and two were boys. Okay, I could now, see. Okay, let me, let me stop you now. You work for Asian Aid full time now? Yes. You're a field representative, is that right? Yes. And in that position, you were able to rescue four other children? Yes. Uh, tell, me, um, tell me about one of them. Well, there was one girl who uh, was in the same uh, life that I faced. Like she was treated as a slave in one of the houses. And this was got to uh, one of the Asian, uh, one of the schools where the Asian program is 
in the schools and and the, one of the staff in the schools brought to uh, our notice then i could get a chance and go see the girl visit her and could see what she was doing in the house and she was just treated as a slave where her cousins were sent to the school but she was uh, she has to be in the house and work for her aunt mm. and i could talk to the girl and see that she can come to the school and she was very happy when i said i'm going to take her to the school and now she is in one of the ashnit schools an adventist school in india so you were rescued and in turn you were able to rescue this girl yes okay now you were telling me about another person that that was rescued she was forced to be a nun oh yes and she's a nun girl and who was forced to be a nun and she didn't want to be a nun and she was sent out of the schools and she has no other way to go and she has she approached one of the schools in india where the nation aid program and asian aid has come forward to sponsor her graduation she graduated and she's an asian aid graduate she graduated and she is working one of the adventist schools in india okay so you rescued this woman she was a young lady yes and and because she was rescued now she is ministering to other children yes and teaching them about jesus this she's is teaching about jesus yeah this is wonderful so if you you know you may not be a doctor you may not be a dentist you may not be able to go set up mobile clinics you may not be able to uh reach the the very wealthy but this is something that everybody can do is sponsor a child one person can make so much difference in a in a child's life and you never know the return that you will get and I just want to say personally, I was one of those orphans in a Seventh-day Adventist orphanage and I was sponsored. And so this is something that everyone can do. So go to Asian Aid uh, booth and find out how you can sponsor and rescue a child. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. As Seventh-day Adventist youth, we have seen so much pain in the different parts of the world locally and internationally. And the song that we are about to sing for you comes from Zimbabwe. And it says, even though there is so much pain, one day we're going to go to our father's house in heaven and we'll walk on streets of gold. Come on, brother, sister, mother, father, come with us to heaven. Ekaya. Well,
ASI, have you been blessed already? We're continuing on with more thrilling stories, and I am being joined here on the platform with Dr. Leonard Brand. Perhaps, Dr. Brand, you could tell us where you're from and what you do. I'm from Loma Linda. I uh, teach at Loma Linda University. I'm chair of the Department of Earth and Biological Sciences, which gives degrees in biology and geology. Now, you mentioned to me previously that Loma Linda has kind of a unique distinction. You would think that many Christian colleges offer doctorates in earth sciences, but you said that that's not necessarily the case. Is that correct? Well, they do offer graduate degrees. The difference is, um, like he says, you'd think they would, they would offer good biblical programs, but um, other Christian universities and colleges, if they have something like geology, uh, they teach basically a theistic evolution or, or evolution, not, not a biblical uh, concept of origins. So Loma Linda has a biblically-based no. program that they offer as a doctorate. Yeah, we are the only place in the world where a student can get a doctorate in biology or geology and uh, um, have classes from teachers who accept the biblical story of origins. Okay. Then uh, how is it that you can get past the, um, the typical theory that the Earth is billions of years old? Well, in the eyes of most scientists, of course, we don't get by. We're, you know, but uh, we're a little bit out of it. But uh, <laughs> we can teach our students learn what science has to offer, the, the best evidence. They know what other scientists think. They also know what the Bible says and how we can reinterpret that evidence uh, in a way that, that um, really helps us to understand geology better. Now we have a short video clip and uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what's on it. Okay, uh, some of us do geology research to understand better how to, how to explain the rocks, how to interpret the rocks. And uh, we find that if we take the Bible seriously, the Bible concept of a global flood a few thousand years ago, that gives us clues, it helps us to see things that other people don't notice. And so we are indeed making some progress in understanding the geological evidence. And I'll just say one thing, in the, in the little video, we talk about hypotheses in a couple of places. Okay, to us, the global flood is not a hypothesis, that's reality. But when you get to these little details, there are, you know, the Bible doesn't give us those details, but the Bible helps us to think up hypotheses of how we might interpret that evidence and then study those. Well, let's watch the video now then. Okay. The surface of our Earth has been shaped by water. Flowing water has great power to erode even hard rocks. Rivers undercut their banks, especially at flood season. Then moving glaciers or flowing water cut and shape the surface. The result is landscape that we find very beautiful. What type of water flow did it take to cut these magnificent structures? Two geologists from Loma Linda University and Southwestern Adventist University, Dr. Leonard Brand and Dr. Arthur Chadwick, are seriously asking this question and seeking answers. Here we see an impressive cliff meandering across southern Utah, where the white cliffs reach the skyline the Navajo sandstone forms the magnificent walls of Zion Canyon, 2,000 feet high. An enormous amount of water energy would be required to erode these high cliffs. 
what type of water flow pattern is required to form such a long, continuous cliff. The cliff is not part of a pair of cliffs such as occurs on the sides of river valleys. It is part of a series of cliffs. There are no rivers flowing along these cliffs that could have eroded them. These examples and many more lead Dr. Brand and Dr. Chadwick to think that the usual geologic theory of millions of years of gradual erosion are not adequate to shape the land into its existing landscape pattern. They believe that serious study of how a very large flow of water could explain the landscapes will provide much more realistic explanations. Future research will pursue these clues. Beautiful scenery, isn't it? Oh, it's wonderful. I noticed that there's quite a little bit uh, of walking that you do. Do you have to walk everywhere that you go? Well, we get as close as we can, and then we do a lot of walking. <laughs> okay. I understand also that ASI has had a part in uh, that video and also in, in your work. Is that correct? They have been supportive, yes. That's wonderful. Yeah. Let me ask you, in today's educational environment, just really how important is it to have a biblically-based geologic program? Geologists um, interpret the evidence in ways that can be very destructive to Christian faith. Uh, students who study geology and uh, Christian students who study geology in other universities have a hard time because they can they can um, describe the evidence and their interpretations very convincingly, and um, it, it's difficult for many people to hang on to their faith in spite of what is being they're being given. And so it is very crucial. It's uh, throughout the Christian world and even in the Adventist Church there are those who are pushing. Um, towards a theistic evolution. And in much of, Christ, of Protestant denominations, there's a big movement among the scholars in that direction. And so it's, it's something of concern. Mm -hmm. And But with our research trying to understand it better, <clears throat> uh, as Seventh-day Adventist educators, we have a responsibility and a great privilege to, to find ways to interpret the evidence uh, according to the Bible. Uh, there are questions we don't have answers to, but uh, we'll always have those, but we can be a great help to our students. Um, and I can just give you one example. I remember a student took a class from me, and after the class was over, I got a phone call. Now, he tried to make this anonymous, but I knew who he was. Uh, but he, he thanked me for the class, and he said, your class has opened the way to faith. And that's a great privilege to get responses like that. Dr. Brand, it has been a real pleasure talking to you, and it is an encouragement to all of us to know mm -hmm. that Loma Linda is holding the standard in this yeah. area. I'd like to close with, with one other comment. Uh, my lovely wife was not able to be here, so I'd just like to, to um, uh, tell her happy anniversary. Thank you so much. <laughs> Again, I, I think that it's an incredible uh, privilege that we have. It, he said, don't start the clock. <laughs> uh, it's an incredible privilege that we have to be able to have a biblically-based program in our university. Joining me now is Dr. Willard Register. Tell me just a little bit about yourself and, um, and, and what we're going to talk about. Well, I'm a retired physician, and that's what we're going to talk about, what I've been doing. Okay. Oh, now, I should do this, shouldn't there I? There we go. That's what I was about to say. Now, um, 
to start it off, you had told me a, a little story, and unfortunately, because you said the clock had already started, and you can see it back there, we uh, had the long version on our telephone call, but uh, we're going to have to have the Cliff Notes version this evening. But how did you get involved in the, in the work that you're doing now? Well, what you're really saying is, I've been to Romania. And why did I go to Romania? Here I am getting... Tonight's my birthday. What's your birthday? What, what, what age are you? Well, 89, starting at sunset today. How about that? <laughs> 89. I had the... Hey, the clock is running. <laughs> I've had, I've had the, and Amen. many Amen. more. <laughs> that's right, that's right. I've had the opportunity to go to Romania 15 years ago, 14 years ago, 13 years ago, 12 years ago, and 11 years ago. Five times. And last February, 18 months ago, I had a humongous surgery. So I knew I would never go back to, sur to Romania again. And I was never laying around at home and sitting there and wishing, I wished I could go back to Romania. It wasn't going through my mind. <laughs> but the pastor that I worked with all those years was the same pastor. His name was John Lasku. And John never called me on the telephone. He had five churches. He got transferred to Tel Aviv about the time I left. I would be 11 years ago. And then he got transferred to, to uh, Belgium. So as you know, your geography, Romania is in between. So they had a family reunion. And I got an email just this last, um, um, a year ago now, in August, saying, Dr. Register, why weren't you here for our reunion? Well, I said, I'm happy you missed me. But an old guy like me, 80 years old, it would be presumptive to get on a plane and come over there all alone. Well, about a month went by, and uh, my wife said, she, she yelled at me down the hall and said, we need some groceries. So she tossed a list there by the phone, and I take my noon nap, but I couldn't sleep. I couldn't go to sleep. Nothing bothering me. I just couldn't go to sleep. So I thought, I'll just get up and pray. So I got on my knees, and I thought, and this had to be, a, this had to be from God. I think I'll just say, uh, think a prayer. I think I'll just think a prayer. I don't want the devil to get involved in this process. So this is what I thought. If you want me to go back to Romania, have John Lasku call me on the telephone. <laughs> so when I got up from my prayer, I thought, well, I'll go get the list and go on to town because I can't sleep anyway. So as I picked up the list, the phone was flashing picked up the phone, it was John Lasku. How about that? <laughs> so now what do I do, folks? <laughs> do I tell the Lord, no, no, I was, I was just kidding. <laughs> so I went to Romania, and my brother and I, during those years that we were there, we built five churches. And John, having been transferred from Tel Aviv to, to, to Belgium, asked me to speak the first two at two of his churches in Brussels on February the 2nd of just now. And then I went on to Romania and spoke at the other churches. 
I'm telling you, my friends, it's nice to go back like Paul did and visit where you've been. It's nice to go back. Now, you know, why did I go? That's what your question That was what I was about to ask. You know, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know why I went. But this is one thing. There was a fellow there. I always make a call. I always make a call. When I go over there, I call. In the, in, in the big church at Vulture, Romania. So, how many of you have been in Vulture, Romania? I'm sure there's some. I, there's a hand back there. So, Anyway, this fellow had been in the church, I mean, helping with the church, building the church. His wife is a Seventh-day Adventist. For 30 years, he had never responded to a call. But when I called, he came forward. And it was amazing. You should have seen the look on their faces. So maybe, maybe that's why I went to Romania. I'm being honest with you when I tell you I don't know why I went to Romania. There were other people that were convicted and came forward. But I, there's a fellow out here in this audience someplace. Maybe some of you know him. He told me, and this is an absolute guarantee, he said the Lord during the first week of the millennium will come and tell you why you went to Romania. That's a guarantee. That was told to me by Herb Douglas, and I'll bet you he's out there in the audience. I said, is that a guarantee that I'm going to be there in the first place and the guarantee that Jesus will come and tell me what happened? So where are you, Herb? Come on, stand up. <laughs> anyway, I'll take, I'll, I'll take that guarantee. There you go. Dr. Register, we're going to have to wind it up here. Oh, but, but, well, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> There's a couple of things I want to tell you. Now, it's an honor and it's a humbling honor to talk to people like this all of you out there are working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I want you to know a calm, peaceful sea never developed any skilled salesmen and sailors. Did you hear what I just said? A calm sea never developed any skilled sailors. You might write that down. Are, are, are all you having a calm ocean out there? <laughs> and then one last thing. If the, see, they sang to me. That's right. They used up my time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I've got time. A fraction of a second. <laughs> when the Lord calls you, go. Amen. Amen. What a blessing to have these members in action, isn't it? We have the young and the old right here together today, all working for God's purposes. Have with me this evening uh, Daystar Academy. We have their principal, Alex, uh, Alexis Hernandez and Jerry um, and Heidi, so thank you so much for joining us tonight uh, for Members in Action. Now, Alexa, you're the principal at Daystar. How long have you been the principal? I have, as of this summer, become the principal. Okay, so this is going to be a new challenge for you this year, but you've been at Amen. Daystar for how many years? Yes, this is my fifth year. So tell us, what is the focus of the educational program at Daystar? 
Daystar's educational focus is to know God and to make him known. And we are striving to teach our young people according to the blueprint with Amen. a special emphasis in missions. So a special emphasis in missions. Now, I know that there's a variety of things you could get involved in. Jerry, tell us a little bit about what's going on in the mission program there at Daystar. Yeah, missions is a, is a big part of our program. We take three weeks out of our schedule every year to go and do missions. Um, our, we've been blessed the last three years, though, to be able to be involved specifically with the one-day church. So building one-day churches, uh, where do you build one-day churches at? We've been to Belize two different times building one-day churches, and then we also have been over in Zambia. Wow. So how many one-day churches is it? has Daystar built over the last several years? Uh, Daystar students have been directly involved in building 46 one-day churches. Amen. Hallelujah. 46 churches. Wow, that's amazing. And what's the most you built in one country? Um, we've built 37 in Belize. So. And how many days did that take? Um, we took, took us, um, well, our three weeks. We, we did the 37 churches in that time. Well, see, that's only about 18 days of work, so if I calculate that, we should rename this the half-day church. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. These young people built 37 churches in, like, how long? Yeah, and just in, um, like, 15 to 18 work days. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, when we went to start the project, um, I knew that we weren't going to be able to do all 37 in that time. Um, but as we got closer to the end, uh, we split our students up into different groups, so we were doing more than one church in a day. And the students could look and see, you know, if we decided to not play today and we'd work instead, maybe we could get this. So the kids just took it on as a challenge, and yeah, before they left, we had 37 of them done. Amen. Now, Heidi, I know you are a participant in some of these trips, building churches around the world. Let me ask you this evening, how has experiencing missions in this way changed your life? Well, it's really cool because um, we went and we built churches in Belize the first time, but then we got to go back there a second time, so we like got to see all of our hard work and they were using it. And then it's just really cool to see how thankful they are, and they're so grateful, and it just made me realize how much I have and has given me a desire to help people. So you have developed a missionary spirit by mission training, right? Yes. Amen. Now, Alex, I know you get to see these people when they come back. Uh, as I, we were talking, you mentioned you really hadn't been on these trips, but you get to see them when they come back. Tell us about yes. what you see when these young people come back from this experience. Well, Steve, uh, it's so exciting to see them come back. They are on fire for the Lord. They're excited about what they've been able to do as young people to participate in building these churches. Really, anyone can be involved in doing it, and they feel so excited to be a part. They're ready to share with their friends and their families and area-wide churches. They have testimonies to share, and they're so excited. Uh, to come back and tell the experiences of the joy they've been able to share with the young people and the um, church families that they've been able to build churches for. So mission programs actually work for the young as well as for those who are older. I can see that transforming lives of these young people, reaching out around the world and building churches. Jerry, what if someone else was thinking about building some one-day churches? Tell us about that. Yeah, I think it's a great project. Um, like has been shared, it's just neat to see 
um, the excitement on the people's faces as you built them a, a church in a day. And, um, and it's the project, the, the whole project is put together so that all of us can be involved. We don't have to have any special skills. So how do you go about doing that? Is, is there some way that you can give folks that you would encourage them if they want to go build some one-day churches? How should they go about that? Well, you could stop by our booth, Daystar Academy, which is um, booth 512, and uh, we could give you more information on that, or you could stop by and visit with the folks at Maranatha. Hey, man. So, folks, tonight, uh, it's just been uh, a blessing here. Now, I understand that uh, Daystar is uh, going to be doing some more of these. Yeah, we're um, planning actually this next year to go into Panama and build some more one-day churches. Praise the Lord. So if you want to get involved in building some one-day churches, maybe you've got a passion to go out and do some work somewhere around the world, give Jerry a call and uh, see how you can personally get involved and maybe helping Daystar go and build some uh, some one-day churches somewhere, and uh, maybe they'll get it down to a quarter of a day next time. What do you think? Amen. Thank you, folks, for joining us this evening. May God bless you. Next this evening, we're going to be speaking with Christina Montero, who is from the Finish the Work team and uh, from California. Christina, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Tell us a little bit about what is Finish the Work. Finish the Work is a a ministry made up of young people, uh, ranging from ages uh, high school to early college age, where basically we um, bring in these young people, we show them how to study the Bible, we then equip them with tools on how to witness at their church, and then we plug them into our ministry where we go around to various churches and do revivals and um, give the, these young people opportunities um, on how to uh, be leaders in, in, um, in evangelism. So you're working with young people, and you're taking them out, and they're doing revival meetings. Now, how did this get started? The... The way that Finished Work got started was a good friend of mine, Michael Tuazon, um, he had been raised in the Adventist church, but for the first time when he was in his early 20s, he gave his heart to, to the Lord, and he wanted to go, you know, share his faith. The first thing you do, you want to tell somebody about Jesus, and he went to his church and kind of looked around and said, uh, I think I need to share Jesus here first, <laughs> so um, what he decided to do is he, he and a few friends uh, got together and they had the same vision where um, they decided, you know, let's, let's preach at our local churches and, and revive them before we bring people in. So this work of revival started from a grassroots effort, the young people thinking about what needed to be done in their own churches, kind of coming together to do that. So how many young people over the years have been involved in these Finish the Work teams? Well, Finish the Work currently right now usually holds about anywhere from 15 to 25 members, but over the last eight years, we've had over 80 young people involved in our ministry. Wow, that is amazing, and all in the kind of the Southern California area? Yes. We range from L.A., Orange County, but mostly Loma Linda. So so tell me about this. uh, A group of young people, like poor college students, how are you doing this? Well, we are very blessed that um, several years ago, uh, ASI got involved with Finish the Work, and they sponsored us. So this is the ASI chapter there in Pacific Union? Yes. The Pacific Union um, has kind of adopted Finish the Work, and we've become the right hand of evangelism for the Pacific Union. Um, And basically, if it wasn't for them, there would be no gas in our cars to get to these (laughs) churches. 
So they're helping you put gas in your cars to get from church to church. These young people are going from church to church. They're reviving the churches. And not only are they reviving the churches, tell us, Christina, how has this affected you personally? I've been so blessed to be part of Finish the Work. Uh, when I be, um, got involved in Finish the Work, I had just come back from a youth conference where I was so excited about Jesus. I wanted to share my faith, and I wanted to revive people. I wanted to, to express my love for God. And um, Finish the Work basically helped me um, to become equipped with the tools in order to do that effectively. Uh, I got trained on how to be a leader in my local church. It also plugged me into other ministries such as call portering, um, getting involved in uh, planning youth conferences in my, my local area, and all sorts of other ministries. Um, I, I can't even begin to tell you. <laughs> well, I can see that you're excited about this and that it has impacted your life. But what about the other young people who have come to the program? How have their lives been changed? I have seen amazing things happen in Finish the Work, let me tell you. Um, over the last year, uh, we've really had a lot of younger um, people come in as far as them being in high school, uh, five of which were seniors in high school. And I was so excited because when I, they first came in, they really didn't know how to study the Bible. They really didn't know how to share their faith. And over the course of the year, through us giving them training, um, they've been able to, uh, many of these young men who are 16, 17 years old are giving sermons. Amen. They're preaching. They're, they're becoming leaders within their, their church and their academy. One of them of which became the religious, vice pre, or religious president of his class. And he started a weekly Bible study on campus. And he started bringing other young people into, into the ministry. And I'm blessed because they're not here because almost all of them are out call portering this summer. Amen. So it's been such a blessing to see the, the fruits of that. And really quick, um, all those five seniors that have been involved in Finish the Work this year, each of them has decided to give two years of their life to going to a Bible college to become effective evangelists um, in, in, their, in their communities. You know, we talked today about keeping the young people in the church and how to do that and what that means. Tell us what you've learned about that. Well, when, um, whenever I hear, oh, we need to, we need to keep the young people, we, 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 should, we should bring in contemporary music, we should bring in entertainment, we should bring in things that, that young people like. But let me tell you, that has not been my experience. In my experience in ministry, um, what I've seen that's effective in bringing the young people in and keeping them in is Bible study and getting them trained and useful tools um, to be effective witnesses in their local churches and, and, and in ministries. Amen. Now, uh, Christina, maybe there's someone here tonight or maybe somebody watching that would like to uh, experience this in their own church, or maybe there's a young person that says, you know, this is exciting. I would like to do something with this. How can they get some more information? We have a Facebook page. If you go on Facebook, there's, uh, it's called Finish the Work Ministry, and you just see a nice big red cross. That's us. So they can um, obviously go on there. And you're willing to give them some information and mentor them? Absolutely. If you contact us, we'd be more than happy to um, tell you how to get started in your local church. And if you can't... Um, if you can't come to Southern California, if you can't contact us, you can always just start wherever you're at, whatever church you're at, wherever God's placed you, to just rally up your friends and just see what you can do to be a helpful tool in your local community and in your church. Thank you so much for sharing with us this evening, Christina.
Next this evening, we're going to be talking to GYC now. How many of you this evening know what GYC is? Well, that's good, but we're going to just get a little information here. We have Alana Smith and Brandon Schroeder here tonight. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Brandon, tell us, what is GYC anyway? Give us the kernel of truth about GYC. GYC is a movement of young people that started out relatively small, just a handful of people that said, we want to study, we want to uh, gather in a community and learn more about our God and His will for our lives. And um, the first event, there was only 200 people. That was 10 years ago. And it has since grown into a movement of young people of more than 7,000 in our uh, annual convention. Amen. Um, we do more than just an event, though. It is not just an event, but it is a lifestyle of evangelism and service to God. And so we have events throughout the year like mission trips, um, evangelism programs that we run, and other things that uh, young people can be involved with as well. Now... Uh, Alana, I know that there's some things going on right now and just have some things that have completed that GYC has been involved in. Tell us about what's been happening in South Africa. Yes, I just got back a few weeks ago from Pretoria, South Africa. We have a couple pictures to show you of that. Um, the GC Youth Department actually invited GYC to run and coordinate the outreach uh, for the youth event that they were having called Impact. It was in Pretoria, South Africa. And we had 50 buses on outreach day with 3,200 young people. And in only three hours, 20,000 great controversies were distributed in the local area. Wow. Now, it, isn't it amazing that GYC is kind of, it sounds like GYC to me has become like the expert outreach people. Because now you're going around the world to help other young people learn how to do outreach. Now, I've been to some GYC, and I've experienced this outreach thing, so I think it's amazing that they could distribute that many uh, great controversies in that short a period of time. Uh, and I know there's other things going on. Brandon, there's another project here stateside right now going on. What's happening? Yeah, we're involved in, in things here. Um, there's a, a little island off the coast of Ontario called Manitola Island, mm. and uh, we recently just sent a group of 37 young people up there on a mission trip, and believe it or not, Manitola Island is an unreached area in North America. Amen. I, you didn't know those existed anymore, yeah, right? right. But it's there, and we sent 37 young people there. Um, one young girl was only 14 years old. She's going out in the community, witnessing and, and ministering to people. She met a lady at the door that said, you know, I, I used to be a Christian, but I've lost my faith in, in prayer because when I was praying for my son, um, my church family didn't support me. They weren't there for me. And uh, this young girl continued to talk with her, asked if she could pray with her. She agreed. At the end of the prayer, she said, thank you for providing for me what my church family could not. And so there are young people going to unreached areas of North America, changing lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Alana, I know there's some, uh, we had a story that happened in South Africa. Share with us how your work in South Africa is impacting the people there and, and the young people who participated. Yes, I'm sure any of you who have attended GYC know that outreach is a highlight. And two of the young people in South Africa were going door to door and they saw an elderly woman sitting outside her house. And so, of course, the two young people approached her and offered her the book, The Great Controversy. She glanced through it and asked them instantly what church they were from. When she responded, she just beamed and said, you know, I love your church. I am not a Seventh-day Adventist. Mm. But I have been looking to find a Seventh-day Adventist church in my area. So these two young people were so excited. They prayed with her, and they connected her with a local Adventist pastor. 
That's amazing to think how God is planning way ahead of time for these things just to be set up, and He's waiting for us to arrive on the scene and participate and do our part. Boy, it's great that we have young people who are doing their part, right? Now, uh, we know that there's some uh, GYC events planned for this fall. Tell us what's coming. GYC uh, this uh, year will be January 1 to 5, and it is literally just down the street from us right now uh, here in Orlando at the Orange County Convention Center and uh, the Hilton Orlando. And if any of you would like to come, we invite you warmly to come to our website, gycweb.org, and registration will be open later this month. All right. So, Brandon? Uh, GYC, this year our theme is going to focus on the great controversy. Amen. Uh, the title of the theme is Before Men and Angels, and it's a simple reminder that our lives on this earth are not to be lived to ourselves or to pop culture or to what the world would demand of us, but they are lived before an entire universe, and that our lives are center stage. And we have a short video that will explain that a little bit more. Amen. Thank you for joining us this evening. Great member in action stories. May God bless you. My life is incredibly insignificant. I'm a tiny person on a small planet in a very large universe. My life is short. My money, education, and accomplishments are temporary. My employer could find another person to do my job. Let's face it, even my cat can survive without me. But God can. See, I know this because he stepped down from his throne and made earth his home. Rejected and despised, he bore my selfishness, murders, and lies, carrying them to the grave, making me the receiver of divine grace. Now I see my worth through the eyes of the universe. There's something bigger at play here, bigger than men. Scripture claims that the created accused the creator and the universe is merely its spectator. You and me, our lives are center stage in this story. We are the drama. We, the receivers of divine grace and the life-changing spirit, we who have been baptized by fire and water, stand and live before men and angels. See, creation waits to see if in our testimony, the righteousness of God will be vindicated. So I refuse to be ruled by materialism or, or circumstances or even in search of the accolades of men. No self-seeking is allowed to dictate my actions. For I'm willing to be made a fool for Christ's sake because I realize that I live on a stage set before men and angels. And my purpose is to glorify God. To glorify God. See, let me break it down for you. My life is meant to vindicate the character of the Creator before men and angels. My life is incredibly significant. was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.
www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.